You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show today and for being willing to share your story. Whenever you are ready, I will let you take it away. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I didn't want to be here under these circumstances, but I am excited to get my story out because I feel like um, second trimester losses are less um, broadcasted. Um, So I will start with um, my background, um, my husband and I met in college. Uh, we got married in 2012, but <clears throat> we both agreed that we wanted to wait to start a family. So we waited um, until I was about 36 uh, to get pregnant. Um, in the fall of 2018, I think we started trying. Um, and after a few months, um, we were pregnant. Um, my pregnancy with my son was a complete breeze. I was never sick, hardly tired. Um, just everything was, I, I was like ecstatic to be pregnant. And even before I gave birth, like couldn't wait to do it again. Um, <clears throat> my son um, came into the world healthy. He's two and a half now. So um, after we had him, we decided that we, uh, wanted to wait a little bit. Um, I think right after we had him, COVID happened. So we ended up waiting. Um, but this past January, we decided we wanted to try for another baby. So by February, we were pregnant again really quickly. Um, I told my husband in a really cute way that we were pregnant on his 40th birthday in March. Um, I gave him a framed picture of our son in a big brother sweatshirt, holding up an ultrasound as a prop. Um, so it was really uh, super exciting. Uh, we had a lot of good things going on. Um, I remember as soon as I got pregnant, wanting a girl so badly, I was like looking up all the ultrasound techniques to like see what you're having. There's one called the Ramsey technique and just a bunch of like old wives tales. It was way too early, but I was like already <laughs> into it. Um, my pregnancy this time around was like night and day compared with my son. I was extremely tired and and exhausted more than I've ever felt in my life. Um, Nauseous day and night, every moment of the day and night. Um, I thought that I was like miserable, but I was like very kind of excited because I'm like, oh, maybe this means I'm having a girl. Um, that just is, even when I was pregnant with my son, I just, I don't know, I always wanted um, a girl to bond with um, because I felt like my mom and I didn't have that that type of bond. Um, in um, late April, after avoiding COVID for two years, we finally caught it from my son um, who caught it in daycare. Um, it was the worst. I had almost every symptom, was very sick, had a high fever, 
So I reached out to my doctor um, because I was honestly very nervous. Like, what could this do to the baby? Um, but she reassured me that the baby would be fine to just take Tylenol and lots of fluids. And they would do like extra monitoring on her for future um, appointments. And that's what I did. I just, um, you know, st stayed in bed, took, took the Tylenol around the clock and um, tried to stay hydrated. Um, so once we recovered from that a few weeks later, uh, we ended up having a gender reveal. Um, it was a complete surprise to our entire family and friends that we were even pregnant. Um, they showed up for what they thought was a brunch and we ended up um, revealing that we were pregnant. And then um, to surprise my husband and I, we didn't know the sex of the baby. Um, so we, we did a gender reveal and um, as fate would have it, my husband popped the popper and pink confetti came flying out everywhere. Um, I screamed and cried like never before. I was so ecstatic. I, I have jokingly said that's like top three best moments of my life. I was just, it was a dream come true. Um, a few weeks later, I remember going to the doctor for my 16 week checkup and bragging to the doctor that baby was a girl, how excited we were. Um, she checked the heartbeat and looked at my cervix. Everything was completely perfect. Um, I had even had um, how we found out the sex of the baby was the genetic testing and all of that came back 100% um, perfect. Everything looked great. Um, so about a few um, weeks after that, on June 6th, um, I woke up. I was uh, 17 weeks and six days pregnant. Um, I woke up and I had just like a weird, crampy feeling in my, my pelvic area. Um, just almost felt like um, gas or constipation, like when you maybe have to go to the bathroom, but you can't or something like that. Um, and I didn't think much of it because, I mean, it, it happened like twice or something as I'm getting ready for work and I noticed it, but I'm like, oh, that's nothing. You know, I'm healthy. Baby's healthy. We're fine. Um, I got ready for work and started on my 45 minute drive to my job. Um, the crampy feeling started to come more in waves as I drove, maybe like 20, 15, 20 minutes apart as I remember, so it happened like maybe three times over my drive. Um, but by the second time I called my sister um, to get her opinion because she's um, super intelligent, has four kids and very versed on everything, you know, pregnancy and labor. Um, but she's like very, you know, precautious advice giver. So she was like, try not to worry, but definitely call your doctor. Like, it, it seems a little weird. So um, I'm a dental hygienist by trade. And um, I started work at 8 a.m. that morning. My first patient or two did not show up. So I took that time to call my doctor. Um, and a nurse ended up um, talking to me and telling me that it's probably Braxton Hicks and to drink more water since I hadn't, I had 24 seven nausea. So water was like very low on the totem pole. 
Um, but I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, maybe she's right. Um, cause I knew I hadn't been drinking much liquid at all, actually at that point. Um, but I, I kind of looked into it online. I'm like, oh, it doesn't, they don't feel like how Braxton Hicks should feel, but I just kind of, you know, kept working, um, because I, I, again, never thought in a million years, anything was wrong. Um, so I, I worked on one patient um, by this point, I think it was like 11 o'clock and I had one more patient before my lunch break. Um, and I remember uh, one of the assistants walking up to me as I was cleaning my patient's teeth and she goes, did I just see you or hear you breathing through the cramp that you just had? And I told her yes. And she asked me if I, she ran down a list of other symptoms like, did you, you know, feel this or do, do you have that? Um, and I didn't, just the waves of cramps. Um, and throughout the rest of the time cleaning my patient's teeth, I was kind of timing the cramps at this point because I'm like, they keep coming. So um, they're consistently every 10 minutes at this point. And I just kept telling myself, there's no way this could be contractions. There's no way. Um, but the assistant that I work with, she's a mom of two, she's older, like 58, 60. Um, and she just turned into mama bear and she begged me to just drop everything and leave and just go get checked. She just kept saying, just go get checked. I'm sure everything's fine. Just go get checked. But I could kind of see it in her face. Like you need to go. So I, I agreed and I called my OB office and um, they agreed to, to see me to that day um, on an emergency basis. So that was about noon. Um, and the OB's office is about like an hour from my job. So once again, I'm timing the cramps the entire time. Um, they went from every 10 minutes to every five to once I'm in the waiting room at the doctor, every three minutes. So. Um, very close together at this point. Um, the doctor, she took me back right away, um, began doing a check of my cervix, and I'll never forget the look on her face when she came up. Um, it looked like she just saw like the worst thing she'd ever seen in her life. Um, and I immediately and firmly said, what? Um, because she was hesitating. Um, so she said, started by saying that I was one centimeter dilated. And I said, okay, so there's something we can do for that, right? She hesitated some more and started kind of talking to me how, like, I know as a medical professional, how we talk to patients when we don't really know if they can handle what we're about to tell them. Um, so I looked at her at this point and in the eye and I said, just talk to me how you talk to yourself. Um, I need to know exactly what's happening. I'm not, you know, stupid. I can, I can piece it together, you know. So she said that it seemed like I was in labor and that she was hopeful that they could do something called a cerclage to stop my cervix from dilating. Um, I said, okay, let's, let's do that. And she's like, but um, I also saw your water bag when I looked, like it's bulging out. Um, so she was afraid that if they tried to stitch me at that point, that the bag may burst. Um, but I said, well, we got to do something. I mean, because 
if this keeps happening, baby is, is here at this point. So, you know, we need to try something. So she called triage and um, told me to rush over there, um, which was just down the street. Um, but it felt like a 30 minute drive with all the like traffic and people in my way. And I was just driving like a mad person to try to get to that hospital because at this point the contractions are just boom, boom, boom. So um, as I'm driving, I'm just um, constantly reciting um, Psalm 91 from the Bible, which is something that usually I do to give myself peace and um, just uh, the faith that I need to know that things are okay. Um, once I got to triage, um, like I said, the contractions were coming very uh, closely together. Um, what I now know were contractions at the time, still thinking like, what is this? Um, they were coming every one to two minutes. And by that point, I'm like literally on my knees on the floor checking in with the front desk, I'm in so much pain. And finally it started to click, like this is way too much pain for this to be benign. Um, and I started to worry more. Um, I remember there being two um, really pregnant women in the triage waiting room, um, obviously, I, I mean, I say obviously, but they look to be full-term to me at that point, um, one of them asked me, are you timing the contractions? How far along are you? And I remember, and this is gonna sound really rude, but I remember thinking what a dumb question it was because at 17 weeks, weeks six days, I had a belly, but it was a smaller one. And I obviously shouldn't be in this situation at this point. Um, so I responded to her question of how far along I was with not far enough. And at that point, the receptionist was witnessing um, these two women ask me several questions, even after me trying to like bark her off a little bit and seeing how much pain I was in. Um, she called the nurse and begged her to take me back like immediately now because it's urgent. Um, so the nurse came right out. Um, she took me back into a little room, like just beyond the triage doors to get my vitals and change my clothes. Um, but once we started talking, um, she was pretty discouraging, um, in my opinion. I mean, I was in a, a scary place at that point, And I just am so used to having a nurse um, kind of reassure me like in my past experience doctors are the ones that come in and say like no you know whatever is wrong the nurses are the ones to kind of give you the pep talks um but when I asked her um if we should go straight upstairs so they could hurry up and sew me up and she said honey if this is what your body is doing then we have to just let it um so at that point, I still had like a sliver of hope despite this woman's comments. Um, so I kind of just ignored her and kept breathing through the contractions. Um, once I was finally upstairs in the labor room, um, a high risk 
um, obstetrician came in, listened to everything that was going on. They were letting him know, you know, um, how my contractions were going and my dilation at that point, I think was either two or three millimeters, uh, centimeters, I'm sorry. We use millimeters in uh, dental hygiene. Um, so yeah, and while he's being briefed, my actual doctor walks in, she ended up being on call. So he tells her like, oh yeah, this and this is happening. So yeah, you guys don't need me for this as if to say like, it's over, you know? Um, so he told her, you can go ahead and handle it yourself. Um, and just hearing that and seeing her face, um, she delivered my son or, um, yeah, just, I just broke down at that point. Um, I finally realized like, this is it. I'm probably gonna lose my baby. Um, so, you know, I started sobbing and just screaming. Um, and by this point, my husband made it to the hospital. And just to backtrack a little bit, when I was in the OB office, I called him and he didn't know he was on speakerphone. Um, but I had asked the doctor to re-explain what was going on. And when she did, he just screamed. Um, so just you know, goes to show it just really came out of nowhere. We were both in just so much shock. Um, so uh, once we're, you know, in the room and I calm down a little bit, I kind of try to ask the doctor if she knew why this was happening. Um, no one knew. There were a couple doctors in there at this point. Nobody knew. Um, they took so many labs and um, we're monitoring me and baby. And um, the only thing that was arrived, my white blood cell count was slightly high, um, possibly indicating infection. Um, but I had no fever or no other signs of infection at that point. So um, after, after asking a few questions, the doctor did let me know that I would have to deliver the baby vaginally, um, which was terrifying. I had a C-section with my son, an emergency C-section. So um, it's just another blow. It's like, how can I do this? You know, I, and I remember telling my husband, like, I can't do this. And, and he's like, yeah, you have to. Um, so I, I just, I mean, he was very supportive, but he's very, you know, no nonsense. Like we got to do this, you know, um, by this point, I'm six centimeters dilated. Um, they asked if I wanted an epidural and some pills to make the delivery happen quicker. Um, I said yes to the epidural and no to the pills because um, my husband and I wanted an ultrasound to see the baby to see. I mean, I, I think this was just our way of like one last hope, like maybe she can hang in there somehow, even <laughs> at six centimeters dilated. So um, we asked for the ultrasound. When they did it, she was just bouncing around, you know, heartbeat was amazing, completely oblivious to any of the terror that we were experiencing over her. Um, like I said, she was just perfect and healthy and I could still feel her moving and everything. So 
once they gave me the epidural, um, my contractions stopped all of a sudden. They were monitoring them. Um, I couldn't feel them because of the epidural, but they just stopped. Um, so I stayed at six centimeters for several hours, uh, enough time for my husband to go get our son from school and hand him off to my sister-in-law to stay for the night. Um, <clears throat> once he was back, things were calm for a while, no contractions, no labor progression. Um, my husband and I even discussed how we thought maybe we could just stay here like this for a few weeks until baby was far along enough to survive. Um, Cause the doctor did let us know at almost 18 weeks. I think I would have had one more day and I would have been 18 weeks. Um, the NICU team and all of them, they won't even come in because there's virtually no chance of survival. And I guess if the baby were to survive, they would be like severely um, just unhealthy neurologically and other ways. So um, the doctors and nurses, they just kept coming in, checking on me, kept asking me to take these pills to get my labor moving. Um, each time we just declined because I could still feel her moving and kicking. And it was just hard to make a decision like that, that I knew would end her life so quickly. So um, we just, again, as illogical as it sounds, kept holding out for hope. Um, but then at about 11 p.m. that night, contractions started again. And they were like full force. I think maybe by 11.30, 11.45, the doctor checked my cervix again and everything was fully dilated. Um, so uh, I started to feel pressure right after that last time she checked. Um, I just remember the room at that moment. It was, it was obviously close to midnight. It was so dark and cold and just felt like a, a real life horror movie at that point. Um, the whole experience up till then was so dark. Um, and then I remember there being a mirror on the ceiling in front of me. Um, and I looked at it at that point. I, I refused to look at it before then, but I looked and because I was feeling this pressure and my husband was next to me, but you know, the nurses and doctors were across the room discussing things. And um, I could see my water bag starting to come out. Um, so my husband called the nurse that was immediately close to us. And she called the doctor from across the room. Um, before the doctor could take the few steps over, uh, the nurse had caught the baby, which the baby would have fell on the floor at that point because no one was down there despite me saying like I feel like something's happening so like I never had a vaginal delivery but I thought to myself like this must be it um so the doctor you know grabbed her from the nurse and they immediately laid her on my chest uh, I looked down at her and she was she looked like a real baby. She was tiny, but she had five fingers on each hand, 10 toes, eyes, eyebrows, lips, everything was outwardly fully formed. Um, she was moving around, stretching, even yawning. Um, 
she was just beautiful. Um, she looked just like my husband. Um, so we named her Berkeley. Um, she survived for several hours, despite the doctor telling us that if she did come out alive, she'd die right away. My husband and I took turns holding her, uh, mostly him, since I had lost a lot of blood and was in and out of consciousness. Um, about four hours later, she passed. Um, her heart stopped beating. We kept her in the room with us until the next morning when the chaplain came and prayed over her. Um, then later that afternoon, I went home. Um, and I should say, I, I didn't go home. I went and stayed with my in-laws because my husband um, ended up flying out of town for a really big job interview um, that next day. And he kind of asked me as everything was going on, like, man, I, I don't think I should go. What should I do? And I just remember thinking, like, I can't have two crazy bad things happen in one week. Like, he he's such a hard worker and just has been waiting on a big opportunity and we both really felt like this was it so I you know I told him just go and um I'll be okay and and I was um extremely sad extremely emotional as to be expected but a little part of me was happy that he was still able to have something good happen um, for him that week after all of this. So um, we went home. Um, I got to reunite with my son who had never slept a night away from me, not once. So that was emotional. Um, and that next week um, was just about, you know, taking care of myself mentally and physically. Um, even though you don't come home with a baby, you still have the bleeding and the soreness and my milk came in, um, full force. I, I know at a certain point, I think they say 17 weeks is when it starts, but it's like my body's memory went into hyperdrive, um, cause there was so much more milk this time around. Um, so that was definitely extremely hard, um going through those things and not having the baby to, you know, make up for it because honestly that stuff is already uncomfortable enough. Um, so um, yeah, we went, came home with um, a page of little, her little footprints and her birth weight. Um, I decided against taking pictures. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, and I didn't want anyone else taking pictures of her. Uh, it was just like a very sad moment. So um, one other thing that got me through that, that first week, um, I have a college friend who lives in Atlanta now, but she was a rock for me. Um, she had been through two miscarriages one of which happened at 20 weeks so she just let me unload and and she gave me the best advice on how to move forward um so I had a follow-up appointment about a week after um with my doctor um and she had the pathology report 
Um, they tested the placenta um, since they knew the baby was completely healthy. It was like, I think very little point in testing her. Um, and they said at that point, they wouldn't find out much from her anyways. So we decided to go through with testing the placenta. Um, she showed me the report, which said that I had a stage three infection. Um, I didn't know what that was. Um, she just said that it's, uh, the infection was advanced and it had been there a few days, um, that there was absolutely nothing that I could have done to prevent it. Um, even if I'd come in a week earlier, which I was, I was just there like the week before for my 16 week appointment and everything looked perfect. Um, she just said, you know, it's something that happens and it happens fast. It's super rare. And, somehow bacteria made it past all the barriers that are in place when you're pregnant, um, your mucus plug, the water bag, all of that. Um, and I remember thinking like my mucus plug never even came out. Uh, I know what it looks like because it came out when I was in labor with my son and it, it's very distinctive. <laughs> so, um, and my water bag was definitely intact up until she came out. So um, the doctor couldn't tell me how it, it bypassed all of that. Um, but in my head, I'm just kind of thinking that um, I'm wondering if my body's defenses were down after battling COVID a few weeks before. Um, so kind of just immunity suppressed and maybe the bacteria was opportunistic. Um, but again, she couldn't, she couldn't clarify that for me and she said because it's pretty rare that she was pretty confident that this wouldn't happen to me again in future pregnancies but she couldn't guarantee me that um so she checked my cervix and everything at this appointment again and it was just still so painful um and I guess things didn't look quite right. So um, she told me the infection was still present and that I had to be on two more weeks of antibiotics after being on IV antibiotics while in the hospital. Um, so I took those and as directed and everything cleared up. Um, and she just kind of told us like, you know, you you need to wait at least three to six months before trying again and just try to heal mentally and physically before, you know, going through anything um, again, because, you know, you think you're okay one moment and then, you know, the next you may not be in and you have to be ready for that journey again when you take it. Um, so, that brings us to today. Uh, today, um, we are actually preparing for a cross-country move. My husband did get the job, so it was not in vain him going on that big interview. Um, so that and my son have really been a glimmer of light and hope amongst this tragedy. Um, I will be 39 next month. So I, you know, I'm pretty um, adamant about trying again this year um, for another baby, boy or girl. We just want them to get here safely and 
and healthy. Um, and yeah, so that's that's where I'm at now. And I think that's my story. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing. You you started whenever you started your story, you mentioned how second trimester losses don't seem to be broadcasted um, as much or or maybe in the same light. And you're totally right. I, I hear stories very similar to yours in private a lot, but mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of those voices, you know, sharing the stories out loud like you are. And so I'm really appreciative because I know somebody is searching in their podcast app for a story that looks like theirs because they probably feel so alone. Um, So I I appreciate you sharing the details and the diagnosis. And um, you described the room when she was born as dark and cold. And I literally felt chills on my whole body because I felt like I could feel that room. And it's just, it's so sad. And then yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, yeah. I can still feel the room as well. It was, that energy was palpable. Yeah. Um, so. Is there anything as you've navigated healing? Because I'm somebody who, who believes that healing doesn't happen 100% after you've lost a child, right? Like you're, you're going to carry this with you and, and healing is kind of a journey. Is there anything that you have found to be helpful, especially having a loss like yours where your daughter was alive and, and there's a lot, there's a lot to grieve there? Yeah, um, definitely as cliche as it sounds, therapy um, even if you're just releasing to the therapist, um, your podcasts actually, I think were like a turning point for me, um, at the hospital, they kept saying like, oh, you know, there's these support groups. And I'm just thinking like, I don't want to be in a room, whether in person or virtually around other people who have gone through this, like, it's just too sad, um, but I knew I wanted to hear other people's stories. Um, I thrive off of that because I'm like, okay, they I can relate to them and maybe just grasp something from it. And um, at your podcast, I, I listened to another person's podcast. I don't remember their name, um, but they didn't really have any like that were relatable to me. But I I came on yours and I found a few, and I it just it changed everything and as you can see kind of inspired me to speak out so um definitely listening to other people's stories helped me so much it gave me a lot of um comfort as as bad as that sounds like you know you're not alone and you can you can do it like these people have made it through you know yeah and I I think that that's that's what any of us are looking for is that people have lived with this level of grief and they have somehow kept going right like we kind of hang on to that because in a dark moment it feels like you have no idea how people continue to see the light it just feels literally took some words out of my mouth you have no clue how you're gonna do that um but you can and you will um I everyone around me always says I'm so strong and you're you you if anybody can do this it's you I do not feel strong. I feel like a piece of glass in a china cabinet at any moment at this point. And I've led like such a happy and uneventful life that this just kind of hit me over the head. But 
I do think that if somebody like me who is so ill-equipped to deal with this can get through it, that anybody can, you know, draw from these stories and, and do other things and get through it too. Another question I have um, is because it sounds like, you know, with you um, having a gender reveal and surprising your family, it sounds like you have a great support system. What did they do to show their support for you? Is there anything that sticks out that was most helpful or um, how can somebody support somebody else going through a second trimester loss? Um, I, so I was with my in-laws. They just spoiled me. They cooked for me. They took care of my son while I was there. They didn't prod me at all. But when I brought things up and was just sobbing, they let me cry. They, you know, responded in those moments, but they never pressured me to talk about anything, which was a big deal for me. Um, I had my entire work staff and HR and like everybody just, is everything okay? Are you good? But, you know, in those moments, you don't want to be asked that. But then sometimes you're like, I want to, I want to talk. I need to talk. And they were just very, um, you know, aware and supportive in that way. And then my sister who lives like a good hour and some change away from me, just politely asked me if she could come to my sister-in-law's house where I was. And I said, yes. And she just showed up and she just let me cry. You know, it at that point, it was just all about release. She was just there. I think people just being there when you need them. And then when I didn't want to be around anyone, nobody shamed me or made me feel guilty. They just let me be. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was, I mean, and it was definitely a tougher process because I had my son and I didn't want him to see me in that state um, just because he's too, he is perfectly innocent and I, I just was like I I don't want this to be a blip in his life I'm sure he wouldn't remember it anyways but he was very into um baby sister as he called her before we knew it was a girl he would always hug my belly I want baby sister so it was just it was hard being around him for that reason but um yeah that those are the things that helped me um but I'm a very I talk a lot, but I'm kind of, I think I'm introverted in a way because I don't like being around a lot of people. So yeah. they just respected how I was moving. They didn't try to force anything. No, I, I get that. And I, you know, people message me on Instagram all the time and say, so-and-so in my life went through a miscarriage. What can I do? Mm. And I'm like, you know, there's no there's no Amazon package you can send them that's going to fix mm -mm. this. Like, <laughs> no. just show up. All you have to do is show up and show up consistently and don't forget about them in a week whenever mm. it's not the top of your mind because it's still the top of theirs. And I think that showing up is really what we need. Like, you just need, you need a release. Um, yeah, that's excellent advice. It's so hard with your son and has he asked about your daughter or did you guys tell him that something um, happened? I've tried to explain to him. Um, we say prayers every night to God. So I tried to explain to him that baby sister Berkeley is with God now. She's not in mommy's belly anymore. 
Um, and he's extremely intelligent as most two-year-olds are. So he kind of like looked at me and is like, okay. Um, but then I, I kind of knew he grasped it a little bit because at nighttime, I still sleep in the bed with him, no judgment. Um, That's right. He grabs my stomach to go to sleep ever since I was pregnant. I need baby sister to go to sleep and he falls right asleep. So after I told him that, he would instead of saying that he would say I need mommy's tummy oh so I thought maybe he got it um recently he started asking for baby sister again and then I just want to add there was a story on here um where and I think you were discussing too how you just kept seeing rainbows after you had your loss and um we've been in our house seven years now and I've never seen one rainbow in this place and they're literally tons of them on the walls on the floor everywhere wow. and it freaked me out at first because I remembered your podcast and I'm like I was wondering like why am I seeing all these rainbows but then I heard that episode and I'm like is this why you know is the new baby coming so um I don't know that's scary just hearing those stories it helps you make sense of things that you just the oddest things like you can't google that seeing rainbows everywhere right so. right and my husband is probably the most skeptical person in the entire world and he noticed it too because we were always together whenever we saw it which was probably the most interesting thing it wasn't like wow. one of us saw it and showed it to each other it was like off of things where there was not a window like we would try to find a yeah. pocket and we couldn't <laughs> and it was bizarre so we took a picture it was like three or four times that it happened and it was during a, a cycle where we were doing fertility treatment um so mm. if you see them take pic pictures of them and document them um I got my sick husband to think that there was something to it <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is especially after hearing that episode I'm like this is not random no, no, not at all. Um, definitely pay attention to those signs. You know, I, sometimes I think that those signs are there and I'm sorry if everybody can hear my dogs now barking in the background, um, <laughs> but there's definitely something to that. Even if it's just a sign from Berkeley, like telling you that she's okay or, or something like that, you know, there could be any way that you find comfort from it. Comfort, yeah. Yeah. yeah.